Hello and welcome to another episode of Paw Talk. It's been a couple weeks since we had a podcast out. Um, So what I wanted to kind of tackle today is a question that keeps kind of resurfacing and coming full circle when it comes to dogs, either just dog ownership or dog training, and that's do dogs have feelings or are they just a dog? So today in this episode of Paw Talk, we are going to dive into that question of do dogs have feelings and if so, what do those feelings look like? I'm Melissa Schrader and I am one of the trainers here at Pausable Angels. So if you've ever owned a dog, most owners will intuitively say, yes, of course my dogs have feelings. When I get home from work, they jump on me, they're excited, they kiss my face. Um, Or they'll say, yeah, my dog seemed to slink away when I got home after work and I saw pee on the ground and they kind of slinked away. So I I know they have feelings. My dog felt really guilty that time. And in the past, before science has kind of caught up with this intuitive feeling that most dog owners would feel, in the past, science would say, no, 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 no. Dogs don't have feelings. They're pretty much just machines. They're just dogs. And that's been the basis for a lot of the traditional training method that has been used on dogs. That if I put a correction collar on a dog or a prong collar on a dog, not that big of a deal. Yes, it might be a little bit painful, but my dog doesn't really have feelings. So it's not going to be distressing to them. It's not going to be something fearful for them. Um, so a lot of inhumane treatment on dogs stemmed from this theory that dogs are just animals. They don't really have complex feelings. So it absolved the person doing these things to the dog from a lot of guilt because you don't have to feel guilty if this really isn't a being that has feelings like we have. And most of this stemmed way back from the 15th, 15 and 1600s from a French philosopher and scientist and his name was Rene Descartes. And he supposed and theorized that dogs, or basically not just dogs, but all animals are just programmable machines. They don't really have any sort of feelings or complex feelings. They are pretty much just machines to be programmed. And that when a dog does portray some sort of emotion that we would consider emotion like fear, they're really just acting. They're reacting to a stimulus. They're not really thinking about it. So they don't really think or feel through something. So if you take a dog's bone and they growl and snap at you, they're just reacting and it's not coming from any sort of feeling or any sort of thought process. Now this changed fairly recently um, and this kind of has been changing slowly over the years with different studies. And there have been studies, and we'll talk about some of the other studies a little bit later in this podcast, but the one that came out that was really life-changing, because the studies before saying, yes, dogs have feelings, were observational studies. They would do some things and observe behavior. Well, how can you know that just because you're observing things that look like a dog feels guilty or that looks like certain things, that that's really what the dog is experiencing. So fairly recently, 
there became a neuroscientist from Emory University named Gregory Burns. And he trained a bunch of dogs to sit very still in an MRI machine. And it was, well, a bunch, 20 dogs. But um, he trained them to sit still in an MRI machine so he could actually map the brain as different stimuli were presented to a dog. So now we're not just looking at behaviors and interpreting those behaviors through a human lens. We're now actually seeing the different structures of the brain and how they activate or light up when certain stimuli are being activated. And you can read really more in depth in, about this subject in his book called What It's Like to Be a Dog. But I'm just gonna kind of touch the surface. So what they found, first off, let's just talk about the structure. They found that the structure of a human brain and a dog's brain are actually very similar when it comes to the region called the caudate nucleus. And I may be completely butchering that name. I am not a neuroscientist. Um, I have had some biology classes in college, but I am not a professional on this. So anyways, it's this area of the brain that they felt, found that there were really some striking similarities between the human brain and the dog brain. And what they found is that, so this is the area of the brain that in humans and dogs activate when an individual is in, in a state of anticipation. And what they found is that these this nucleus is particularly stronger, lights up particularly more so when it's a positive anticipation of something that's important to the person or the dog and something they like. It's not as strong when there's a negative anticipation like um, that something bad is going to happen. And they, he found that the dogs actually did respond to stimuli. They did respond to like a picture of, they would show a picture of the owner to the dog and it would respond in a positive way and was showing that there's like a love or attachment response. Now, before we get into all the emotions that they can show and kind of what that all looks like, I wanna just take a side note here that while the dogs, the scientists are finding that dogs do experience a wide range of emotions and more complex emotions than we ever thought possible, there is limitations. They don't feel them in quite the complexity that we do. So scientists presume that dogs are functioning at a level of like a two, two and a half year old toddler. And so most toddlers, if you look at toddlers, they also express the same range of emotions and they don't develop complex emotions until they become about four years old. Now in a dog, they, um, so kids take a long time. They, they take two to two and a half years to develop the complexity of emotions that dogs can feel, but dogs go through these stages much faster. So whereas a child has to be about two and a half to get these full range of emotions that a dog would have, the dog gets these full range of emotions at about four to six months of age. So they do move through the structure a lot quicker. Quicker, They're more developmentally, uh, a little bit quicker on the developmental side of that. But 
then their complexity of emotion stops and, and it stops at that two, two and a half range of emotion. So if you wonder, can my dog feel this? Think about your two, two and a half year old or two and two and a half year old that you know and the complexity of emotions they feel and to the extent they feel them is very similar to what a dog can feel. Now, two, two and a half year old humans will go on to develop more complex emotions and they'll get their full range of complex emotions around the four year age mark. So I say that to say that the emotions dogs can feel and thus toddlers can feel are the most strongly would be your primary emotions. So anger, fear, joy, those kind of things. But they can feel some secondary emotions like um, contentment, disgust, distress, or even a stress response, um, frustration, anxiety, relaxation. They can be surprised or startled, and they can also show sadness. Now, sadness is a primary. Um, emotion, but these secondary emotions, they can only feel, they feel them, but not to the intensity or complexity that humans feel them. And I'll explain this a little bit later with some of our details. But these primary emotions, we're looking at love, joy, anger, fear, sadness, those primary emotions, they can feel very strongly and almost just as strongly as a two, two and a half year old toddler. And as I have a toddler at home, and I can tell you my toddler can feel both joy, excitement, and anger very, very strongly. So if that's any indication, that puts a lot in perspective of the range and the intensity of emotions our dogs can feel. Now, mo dogs do not feel higher, more complex emotions like contempt, guilt, pride, or shame. And I can hear you out there right now saying, yes, my dog does feel shame. I came home and they had knocked over the trash and they were slinking away, their ears were back. What we're finding is that's not shame. That's actually a fear response. And it's not because they realize they did something wrong to feel guilty about. They, they have learned that when trash is on the floor, that makes my owner very upset. And so even research has found this, that if you put two dogs in a room and one dog knocks over the trash, but the other one does not touch the trash, they're both going to show these feelings of guilt or what humans perceive as guilt. But the dog doesn't actually feel guilty. They just are very cause and effect of, I know trash on the floor makes my person mad. So if trash is on the floor, I, when my person comes home, I'm going to do a lot of appeasing gestures. Like my ears are gonna back, be back. I'm gonna approach them really low and submissively because they know their owner's going to be mad. Um, now they do find though that dogs do have a lot of the same hormones and undergo a lot of the same chemical reactions that humans do when we move through our emotions. So there's this a lot of the same chemical interactions when you feel happy and when you feel sad and those same chemical interactions go in on in a dog's mind. That's why when a dog gets really excited or really stressed out, it can take them a while to come down. And we talk about we talked about this in another episode that I did on reactivity and we talked about stress. And when a dog gets stressed, that it can take them days to weeks to come back down to baseline. That's a chemical reaction because cortisol is released just like it is in our body when there's a stress response. And that goes for the other emotions as well. 
They also found really interestingly that oxytocin is very prevalent and works very much the same in a dog as it does in a human. And this is why we're starting to see with science that dogs do feel love and attachment. That you can show dogs in an MRI a picture of a stranger and nothing activates in their brains, but you show them a picture of their owner and all of a sudden they're getting activation in their brains. And that's why your dog can bond with you and you bond with your dog is as you're petting your dog and releasing oxytocin, they're also getting a release of oxytocin. Now, there are some emotions that are kind of up for debate that I wanna tackle. These are your secondary emotions and it's jealousy or like envy and loneliness. So let's tackle jealousy first. So it's, it's unclear if dogs can experience like jealousy or envy to the same extent as humans do. There is also a theory that it could be an offshoot of resource, like a resource guarding behavior. That maybe it's not as emotionally driven as it is primitively driven where they want to guard their resources and, and that can include their person that is their person or their food or whatnot. Here's what we do know. We do know that dogs are social animals and jealousy or envy is a social emotion. So it would make sense that dogs can feel this to some degree. We also know that dogs are highly influenced by oxytocin and oxytocin is known to be involved in both the emotions of love and jealousy. Now there was a kind of controversial study done in, at the University of Vienna by Frederic Ronge is how I'm going to say it. It's spelled range, R-A-N-G-E, but I'm assuming if it's Italian, it's more fancier pronounced like Ronge, I don't know. But anyways, so what he did, he took a bunch of dogs, and once again, this was not a brain scan experiment. This was one of those experiments that was very observational, so it can be somewhat controversial. Um, and he taught dogs to do a paw shake for treats. So he would have them give the person a paw and give a treat. And so what they found is when they would, they would have two dogs in a room and ask each dog to both shake and they'd give one dog a treat and one dog not a treat. And the dog stopped doing the behavior. So they concluded this means the dog feels some sort of jealousy or envy. Uh, most dog owner or dog trainers out there are going to be like, what? Because that's how I was. And the reason being is because we know just from a psychological standpoint that when you reinforce a behavior with praise or food and then you stop reinforcing it, you are going to, that behavior is going to stop. It's going to stop through a process called extinction. So in my mind, this doesn't prove that a dog feels jealous. Um, but it does raise the question of, okay, is there more to it than just not getting a treat? Or I think maybe one dog got a treat and the other dog got pet. You can read his study more in depth. But one thing that I did find really interesting was, so let's say dogs do feel envy or jealousy. And you know, as a dog parent myself, and even as a trainer, we would say, of course our dog feels jealous because we've seen those things. We've seen um, if uh, I'm petting one dog, another dog will try and get in the way so that I will stop petting that dog and pet him. 
Or if I'm giving treats to one dog, the other dog comes and might actually block or push the other dog out of the way for treats. So as pet parents, a lot of us are saying, oh yeah, my dog feels jealous. I see that. They can feel jealous of kids or, and while, like I said, that is unclear as if they feel jealousy, it's to what extent. And this is where it gets interesting because there was a study, it's same study by Frederic Range, who tested to see the extent of envy or jealousy. And so what they did is he did the same um, experiment, but this time both dogs got rewards, but one dog got something more rewarding like piece of chicken and the other dog still got a reward but it was like a piece of kibble and what they found was that the dogs both still wanted to do the the behavior so what this does show in my mind and I agree with this assessment is that it shows that even if a dog can feel jealousy or envy it's not to the complexity of where they feel jealous because another dog got a better treat than them um, because both dogs were still willing to work for it. They just wanted a treat. They wanted things to be fair, that if another dog got a treat, they got a treat. But it wasn't necessarily that they felt that they didn't look at the rewards of having to be equal. Whereas humans, you better believe, even in a toddler, you give one toddler, um, I give my four-year-old a gummy bear, and then I try and give my toddler a Cheerio, she's gonna throw the Cheerio and say, no, I want a gummy bear. Leah got a gummy bear. And so we can see that in kids, but that doesn't seem to be the case, at least in this study that they saw with dogs. So. I, in my professional opinion, I have seen dogs act what I perceive to be jealous or envy, envious. So I am comfortable to say I, I believe that they experience that emotion. But reading this study, I believe that maybe it's not to the complexity that we feel it. That while they don't, they don't want to miss out on something another dog is getting, it doesn't always have to be of equal value. Now let's dive into loneliness. Can dogs feel lonely? And once again, this is another observational type of, um, I guess, I wouldn't even say study because there's really not even a, a, a study that I can quote um, in general, but we do know, here's what we do know. We do know that dogs can feel distress and that has been proven by studies. We know, and they would say that loneliness would be kind of categorized with distress because a dog would feel distress that you are gone. And so we would say distress, but it could look like being lonely. We know that dogs can love you. That has been proven with MRI scans. So it would reason that if a dog can love you, they can also miss you, which when you're missing someone, sometimes it can be lonely if you're all by yourself. Um, we also know that our dogs were bred genetically to be companion animals. We know that initially dogs were bred to work alongside humans as working dogs. And so they were genetically engineered to be in close working relationship with humans. And back then they had this constant working relationship and companionship because they were with their owners all the time. So because dogs have been bred down those lines, it would make sense that dogs have been bred to be social and more um, 
uh, companion animals, so they need and, and seek out that social contact, which we see. If you're ignoring your dog too long at home because you're watching TV, a lot of your dogs will jump in your lap or start nuzzling under your hand or go get a ball or something to get your attention back on them. And there have been studies shown that dogs will actually seek out eye contact from humans, but they will not seek it out from other animals. So dogs to dogs won't seek it out amongst each other, typically. They will seek out other attention behaviors, but not eye contact. In fact, many dogs won't make eye contact unless they're feeling threatened or they're not feeling very comfortable, but they will make eye contact and seek it out in humans, which once again shows that there is a different bond with humans than other dogs. So a lot of people, if their dog is feeling lonely, which may look like the dog destroys your house when they're gone or they'll howl as soon as you leave. The question a lot, of, I hear a lot of people ask me, well, can't we just get another dog? Well, it depends what your dog is missing. If your dog is missing you or they're missing that human companionship, then no, another dog is not going to fix your dog's loneliness or separation anxiety. If your dog just wants some sort of social interaction, it doesn't matter if it's human or dog, then yes, maybe a dog will work. It depends what your dog is missing and that's really hard to kind of determine is are they missing social interaction just in general or are they missing human companionship because as we discussed human companionship offers more to the dog than a dog to dog companionship dogs will seek out eye contact from humans which a dog will not get from other dogs and then the last emotion more complex emotion i want to discuss is empathy can dogs show empathy. Now, the only study I found on this initially was back in 2012, and it's an observational study again, but what they did is they had three people in the room. They had one person talking just normally, one person humming, and one person crying. And what they found is when a dog entered a room, they would bypass the people that were talking or humming, and they would go to the person that was crying and would actually approach them and nudge them or do something. And they would do it in a way that was very submissive, not curious or playful. They would actually do it with very submissive manner. And they found that it didn't matter if the person crying was their owner or was a stranger. They would still approach and do the same thing. And I can tell you, I can vouch for this as a service dog trainer that teaching a dog to respond to like being upset like crying is pretty easy to do honestly the dogs do it pretty naturally if you sit on the floor and start crying and you can even try this at home nine times out of ten your dog is just going to walk up to you and they might circle you they might not know what to do and that's where we come in as trainers and teach our dogs what they do but most will at least start nudging you or at least putting a nose to your arm or to your leg or something and do seem to have what we would consider empathy. In 2018, with all this science behind it, 2018, France declared that dogs are actually not property under the law, but gave dogs rights as living beings, which I think is amazing. And now mind you, I am not putting dogs over human lives or even at the same level of human lives. Um, but I think that's amazing because still here in the US, dogs are considered property. 
And if a dog goes to court over like almost like a custody battle, it's who can demonstrate that they are the owner of the dog regardless of the dog's condition. So there are times that dogs are living in squalor or there would be another situation that is better for the dog mentally and better physically for the dog. But you can't pursue that under the law because it's possession is nine tenths of the law. And so they look at who possesses the dog, not what is in the dog's best interest. Now here at Pausables, we do try and um, navigate our contracts so that we can put our dog's best interest at heart and not just be at the mercy of possession is nine tenths of the law. So we still have a ways to go, but that's amazing that France actually did that. And I will kind of wrap up this podcast with saying not own all um, trainers train the same as we found out. Um, there is still, like I said, this old school thought back from the 15, 1600s by Descartes that still believes animals have just very rudimentary feelings if they have feelings at all and that you can just program them to do what you want in whatever manner you want. And we are seeing, you know, people still using shock collars out there, trainers using shock collars and training trainers using, um, pinch collars and using correction collars. And there was, um, and I am going to actually name because I did some research into it. There was a company um, that was pretty prevalent around this area called Sit Means Sit. And um, they were founded by a man that I looked into and did some research on. I don't have his name on hand. But when they first came, I, I, I like to do my research on when they first came to the area, I like to do my research on what their training methods are and how they came about those methods. And so, and this is not just that means that this is a lot of other organizations or some other trainers will put a shot collar on your dog. Sometimes a dog goes away to like a two week boarding train where they put a shot collar on your dog and then they give your dog back and teach you how to use the shot collar. Now, the reason why I named this organization is because I know the reason behind what they do and not all people who use shot collars have the same reasoning, but their owner who started it, who then trains people to do it and then those people train other people to do it, his whole philosophy was I can do the behavior and train a dog to do behavior faster than what you people who do positive reinforcement can do. And he was right, he could. He could stop a behavior like in its tracks, whereas positive reinforcement could take weeks or months. But then someone raised their hand at, at um, one time at one of his dem demonstrations and said, well, what about like the way it affects a dog mentally or psychologically? And he flat out said, I don't know anything about the dog psychologically and really kind of nonchalantly pretty much said he didn't care. All he knows is that his method works and it works fast. So he is discounting the whole emotional needs of the dog, the whole psychology of a dog and what those kind of trainings can do to a dog emotionally and, psycholog and psychologically and how it destroys the bond between an owner and a dog. And so I am very much convinced that if there is a trainer still using these methods of 
punishment to train a dog that they must not know. I like to think the best of everyone. So I believe that they must not know how complex a dog's emotions are and what those training tools do to an animal emotionally and psychologically. Because if you knew that, I would like to believe that no one would ever use that on dogs. So having said all of that, I will tell you, Plausible Angels does take a dog's feelings into account when we train. And that is why we use positive reinforcement and only positive reinforcement to train. We work to partner with our dogs to teach them things and we don't use punishment or coercive effects to get what we want because we do recognize our dogs are beings with very complex emotions. We do understand that they can bond very strongly and so we rely on our bond with a dog to motivate the dog to do what we want and not just to make them do what we want. And yes, we use treats. And funny enough, people will say, well, you that's why dogs do what you want, because you pretty much bribe them. But that's not the case. There was actually actually studies done that found that, you know, do dogs have the capacity to truly love someone or do they just love the treats you're giving them? And it actually found that dogs do differentiate between actually loving a person and just getting praise and affection as opposed to treats. And so they can differentiate the two. So yes, we do use food to train our behaviors, especially at the beginning. But what we're relying on is our bond with the dog to partner with them. And we're using treats to help facilitate and encourage that bond early on. But that is how we train our dogs. We train them as beings with emotions and complex feelings and not just things or animals that can be programmed. So if you're interested in learning more about pausables or want to train your dogs what we call the pausable way, please get in touch with us. You can find a contact form or also our number on our website at www.pausableangels.org. In our next podcast, we're going to talk about the emotional age of dogs. We talked about them being about like the same as a two, two and a half year old toddler. But we're going to dive into that about what that means in, in terms of how they learn and what that looks like in terms of in terms of how they process some of the emotional noise or stimuli that they hear and how that once again wraps all into trying to train your dog. So hope you can join us next time and until then have a great week and happy training.